welcome. My name is Gina Timberman, and you are listening to Timber People, a podcast about people who, like timber, are strong, build and create, who gather us together like fuel that feeds fire. People who support structures of our community that uplift and protect. Hello, welcome, my friend, Leon Natker. I am so excited to have you on the show today. You are the new director of the Oklahoma Museum of History at the Oklahoma History Center. And I know you've been on an exciting journey um, previously and over the years, and we have some great adventures uh, and experiences from First Americans Museum. And I know you have a wonderful journey ahead of you. And I'm just so excited to welcome you today. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And yes, I am the newly minted director of the Oklahoma Museum of History. Uh, Well, I mean, I just love everything that has happened over the years with the Oklahoma Historical Society, the Oklahoma History Center, uh, you know, my friend Dan Provo and Bob Blackburn, everything that they've done. There's such an incredible foundation, and I know you're going to do wonderful things. So I'm really excited about how everything's going and what's on the horizon. Well, um, we're moving forward now. Dr. Bob and Dan uh, spent many years establishing the institution. Uh, Dr. Bob, I just uh, spoke with him the other day, uh, spent much of his career developing the collection, and it's an incredible collection of Oklahoma's history. Uh, It includes a very large uh, Native American collection. It includes uh, all of the inaugural dresses of every first lady of the state of Oklahoma. There's all kinds of cars and uh, vehicles, things about uh, the uh, oil industry, things about all kinds of commerce. Um, We are getting ready uh, with Dr. Bob still uh, to do uh, a commemoration for the 100th anniversary of WKY. Uh, radio, and then it was, of course, the first television station starting 75 years ago, and is now KFOR. So that's going to be something that's upcoming. Uh, what I'm looking forward to doing is to now taking the museum after its it, 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 its first basically 20 years in the new building and moving it forward into the 21st century and into a new style of museum interpretation and making it, I think, more engaging and more uh, entertaining, if you will, but entertaining with the idea of educating people at the same time. Mm-hmm. I love, I think so many Oklahomans probably would not, re- I mean, there are suspecting exhibits that are at, you would think about, you know, at the History Center um, and everything, but there are a lot of unsuspecting exhibits there as well. We have such a diverse interesting uh, history as Oklahomans. And I really think if if someone hasn't uh, visited, they need to, and they should plan to, to really spend some time there. And I know there's one now, is it the wrestling exhibit? Yes. Yeah, that's we so much fun. We just opened that last week. It's a photo exhibit about the uh, world of professional wrestling in Oklahoma. Right. Oklahoma was a very distinct territory. There was a period of time when, uh, the you know, before WWE and it all became national, right, right. that it was territories. And we had our own uh, gang, if you will, of very special Oklahoma-style wrestlers. Right. So it's fun. It, it's a fun little retrospective, and I do hope people will come by and see it. But I hope people will come by and spend some time because there is so, as you say, there's so much in the museum, and it does take time. It's uh, it's not 
you know, I, I, I can't get through it all in one day. Uh, but it, it is literally everything from uh, our uh, indigenous past to the musical Oklahoma right. and the state song. And uh, there's uh, an exhibit about, like I said, the oil industry, the airlines industry here. Uh, of course, we have a you know, great history going back to Wiley Post. And uh, that particular era. So there are many, many things, and there are so many stories to tell. And what I what I like to do as a museum professional, my particular focus is telling stories about people, right. relating it to people, not just the events, not just you know names and dates and that. I want uh, the people, the patrons of the museum, to come in and go away going, "Wow, I never knew that about that person." Right. Because there's, there are just so, and there are so many in Oklahoma. This state has a a very rich history. If you want to get uh, really prehistoric about it, the first mm -hmm. settlements in Oklahoma date back nearly twelve thousand years. We had right. ancient mammoth hunters roaming the plains, uh, taking down mammoths, and then there was a whole period of of millennia uh, where there were uh, different hunter gatherer groups that built villages. And occupied this land. And so there have been people on the land of Oklahoma for a very, very long time. Right. I think a lot of people don't really realize that. And you bring such a rich, informed, diverse experience to your role, not only in the museum world, but through archaeology, um, also through cultural and performing arts uh, you, uh, you know, representing the opera from San Diego to all the work that you've done with digs and everything in New Mexico and your work in the cultural world. Uh, I'm just really uh, so happy that we get to keep you here in Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I have been involved in the arts and culture section sector of uh, the, the world um, all of my life. I started many years ago. Uh, at the Juilliard School as a performer in the performing arts. And I toured. I did a lot of musical theater. I sang opera. I taught in Europe. Uh, and then I, some years ago, I, I guess it was my uh, middle-aged crisis, if you will. I became an archaeologist. I just had to get out there and dig holes in the ground. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was a little boy thing. But it, it's it's very interesting. And I've spent most of that career uh, working with different uh, indigenous groups uh, in the United States, uh, particularly the Pueblos in uh, New Mexico and Arizona. Uh, but also now that I'm here, uh, I'm, I've been very interested in uh, the history and the archaeology. Uh, a lot of people assume that uh, the indigenous population, the native population, however uh, you, you like to call it, all showed up because of the Removal Act of, yeah. of 1830. And um, that is very true. The 39 tribes, the way they have been resettled has to do with that particular period of our history. But it goes back way before that. There were uh, indigenous groups here in Oklahoma Territory for thousands of years, and they had villages, they had great civilizations here. Spyro on the east side of the state is one of the great civilizations right. of prehistoric uh, time. It was uh, a ritual center, we think. Uh, it was very rich. Uh, people apparently came there uh, for ceremonies. Uh, approximately uh, 2,000 to 3,000 people lived there permanently, but there's evidence that shows that people traveled 
back and forth all the time. Right. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, Spyro teaches us so much. I mean, it was that crossroads, the spiritual center, a place of trade and exchange and cultural creation. Um, You know, when you look at the materials that were identified at Spyro, you're right. And a lot of our, we don't teach that a lot in our schools, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, we were saying when we were developing FAM that, you know, we're the 21st century mound builders, you know, and what, yeah, so I love that we're still going to the river to build and create, that we're still gathering in central places like Oklahoma City, like at the Oklahoma History Center, to exchange, to learn from one another, to create and to share cultural perspectives. Exactly. And that's one of the things that's really important about the uh, Oklahoma History Center is that we have uh, so much uh, that there is there to share. And it's also, remember, we also have the Oklahoma State Archive, which is the only archive, only state archive of all of the 50 states that is actually linked with the National Archive. Uh, Part of that is because we have all of the uh, tribal archives uh, from the 19th century, all of the uh, indigenous genealogies and so on. So people, it is open to the public. Uh, anybody can come and access those records. You can trace your family. It's uh, something to do at the museum. Uh, you know, come in, do a little research for your family, and then take a look around at the different exhibits right. and learn something else about the state of Oklahoma. Uh, another aspect, that one of, something that I'm going to uh, do uh, with the exhibits over time is I want to talk a little bit more about the Dust Bowl era. I mean, most Americans, what they know about Oklahoma is the movie, The Grapes of Wrath, and they all think that it still looks like that, which is, as we well know, that is not true. And the story that people tell from The Grapes of Wrath is, oh, all of the Okies that left, they all went and moved to the Central Valley of California. Well, a lot of people stayed, and those are the people that made it work and brought the state back agriculturally and the whole agribusiness aspect of Oklahoma. So I want to tell those stories about those people. There's a a wonderful story I'm sure most people don't know. There was a woman's basketball league here during the during the depression football league too yes i know you did i know you did well those are those are important stories those are important things to be told uh so that uh, people understand uh, the diversity of what happened here in the state of oklahoma uh there's uh oh my goodness there's so many stories um this is a place actually of migration it always has been a state of migration Going back 12,000 years, uh, now we have all kinds of uh, different communities here in Oklahoma City and around the state. We have a large Asian population. Nobody's told those stories yet. That's something that we need to do at the museum. Uh, There are uh, many different um, Hispanic groups, uh, uh, immigrants from Guatemala, from Venezuela, from Mexico uh, that are living here, again, that we haven't uh, touched yet. We have collections that can address that. Uh, we have photographic records that can address that. But those are those are things that I want to look at. And then, of course, we have coming up in 2026, the 100th anniversary of Route 66. Oh, right. That's going to be a lot of fun. It is. And there's some major, major uh, exhibitions that we're going to be doing for that. Uh, we have a collection of neon signs right. uh, from old Route 66. You know, uh, Lincoln Avenue right by the Capitol, that was part of Route 66 back in the day. We'll have to do another show and have Ken Busby and others come on on the show Absolutely. and talk about it. Absolutely. They must because there's uh, a lot go- that 
It's going to be great. This was a big part of the Mother Road. Right. And uh, we're going to commemorate that uh, with some very large uh, exhibits. Uh, We're already, you know, developing them. Uh, I don't want to give away too much yet because it's still three years away. But we have to think about those things that far in advance uh, to get them all together. Well, you're the right person to be doing what you're doing. You've worked in so many capacities of community and public outreach and connections, working with uh, boards of directors. You have a great board at the Oklahoma Historical Society. Oh, absolutely. Wonderful people. Uh, And I'm, yeah, I know that you're going to, you're going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to see where your journey takes you. Uh, And then your experience working with tribes. And as you were mentioning, you know, this has always been a place of exchange and If you're from Oklahoma, I say it all the time, that you have a really interesting story to tell. And I love that you uh, engage the the story of the person. And oftentimes people think about different cultures of people as like in silos, the Asian community, the American Indian community. But in Oklahoma, being that now we're a collaboration of cultures, there are so many different connects and layers to uh, our food experiences, our cultural experiences, um, the ways in which we express ourselves as cultural people and um, from like cowboy and Western heritage, American Indian culture. I just had my friend Tun Nguyen on the show talking about the Asian district mm-hmm. and what everything is happening there. And there's so many um, kind of overlaps, beautiful overlays that are, I, I love that um, the the History Center and the Oklahoma Historical Society and the State M- Museum of History can really uh, explore and and connect people. Yeah, telling uh, the story. Actually, you you touched on something in what you just said. Uh, telling the story of Oklahoma through food is right. is a way. As an anthropologist, that's something that I always love to do is talk about food anthropology. Actually, I'll tell you uh, back um, in COVID days, which is what got me to Oklahoma when I needed. I, w- I was firmly rooted in New Mexico. And I had the job offer here uh, for First Americans Museum, and I, I'd never really been to Oklahoma City. Right. So I'd been to Tulsa, but never to Oklahoma City. So I came here, and I had to, you know, check out, well, what kind of food is actually available here in Oklahoma City? Is it all barbecue? Right, right. Because <laughs> if you don't live in the state, you don't know. And then I went, well, let's see. We've got some Chinese. We have Vietnamese. We have Thai. Uh, we have Mexican. We have Guatemalan. We, they, when right. I saw, we have a Guatemalan restaurant. How interesting must that be? Uh, and uh, there's, you know, of course, French. And then I had to have uh, the places to shop like Trader Joe's to, right. <laughs> for my own kitchen. Right. So that was something that that decided me on, on really moving to Oklahoma. I went, well, this place has got to be, something's got to be happening here if there's all of this food. Well, we're really fortunate that we've had city leaders and others that have really um, invested and have been real advocates for new experiences and um, commitment to projects like First Americans Museum. And, you know, being on a long-term serving board member for the Oklahoma Museums Association, I really appreciate what the uh, History Center has done for paving an advocacy path at the Capitol and for other uh, issues in museum administration and realities that museums are experiencing, uh, as well as other museums in the city. Well, it's it, it's always a difficult path advocating for uh, cultural institutions, 
uh, with legislatures. They all think, well, it's you know, it's it's public money, and we shouldn't spend it on that. But but here here are some facts about the museum industry. Uh, it's actually the fourth largest in the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. There are some five hundred plus museums right. in the state. Uh, so it's worth billions of dollars in revenue to the state. Cultural uh, tourism. Cultural yeah. tourism <laughs> is a wonderful thing. And uh, and when you have a, a rich cultural heritage like Oklahoma does, uh, that makes it so much easier. Um, it's actually bigger than agribusiness in the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So that's something that, that people need to know. Nationally, uh, the museum industry is worth over $40 billion a year right. uh, in income. It is actually larger in terms of ticket sales than professional sports. Three times more people buy a ticket to go to a museum in the United States than buy a ticket to go to a professional right. sporting event. Preach it. I love this. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, and I'm not denigrating professional sports. Right. That's great. It's a wonderful part of the entertainment industry in the United States. But in terms of activities that families can do together, right. because that's really a, what museums, I think, can be about. It's And I remember as a child, my first museum experiences were in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, which is a great museum town. And Sundays, my father taking my brother and I to all of, to the Art Institute, to the Field Museum, to the Museum of Science and Industry, to any any number of, of things. That was an outing for an afternoon. Uh, my dad was, I guess, typical of, 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 of today in that when he wanted to watch a game, he liked to sit in his easy chair (laughs) and watch the television. So we did get to go to games, but not very, not as much as we went to museums. Well, the museums appeal to multi-generations, you know, like you, like, like you're saying, but also that's the game changing experience, cultural experiences that really change a one day visit to a three day visit. And you know what that means? That's the peripheral tax investment that's going into hotel and lodging experience, the gassing up, retail, eating in restaurants, and also non-local so when people are coming into town to experience something, they're leaving their dollars here. Right. And that's being invested back into our schools and roadways and other needs of our infrastructure. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very important point. And I'd like to make a point about the, I, I alluded to this earlier, about the 21st century museum. Back in the early 20th century, museums were still what we used to call cabinets of curiosity. Yeah, Yeah, curio cabinets. (laughs) Exactly. They were the cabinets of curiosity. That's actually the the first name of a museum comes from the Italian Gabinetti di Curiosità back in the 16th century. That's when they finally got a name to them. A museum as a name came in the 17th century in England at the Ashmolean. So what they were were cases. I I still remember how museums looked in in the uh, early 1960s uh, as a kid. They were big dark cases with all kinds of strange objects. And they maybe had a little tag that said it was this or that it was this old or whatever. And you never knew anything about it. It was just you walk through and just would go, wow, ooh, oh, isn't that odd? But I wonder what that is. I wonder what that is. Well, now... uh, in museums, we we can't do that anymore. That 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 isn't that isn't really the the purpose. The purpose now is to offer some interpretation to say, now look at these objects. This tells a story right. about 
these people or this person. This object relates to this person's history. And so it's all about interpretation and about people and about the people that made the objects, the people that used the objects, uh, how the objects came into being uh, in many cases. Uh, we have, uh, you know, there are just so many objects, the, the, the textiles, uh, that could be at a museum. Uh, the cars. We've got some very interesting <laughs> antique cars. I I kind of love antique cars, and I'm looking forward to having some kind of uh, antique car rally at the okay. museum soon. Well, there, again, there are so many here in Oklahoma right. and people that have kept them in their barn. <laughs> well, and engaging the first person perspective. You know, when we're talking about historically with museum passive, now it's very active. It's bringing people together. And creating a platform by which people can share their own unique experiences goes back to what you're saying about engaging that that personal story. And we can do that here because, you know, uh, we're we have access to people throughout all of the communities. And what I also love is the uh, temporary exhibitions or the traveling exhibitions that the uh, Historical Society, the State Museum of History, um, the educational kits that are made available to schools and experiences with uh, rural communities throughout our state and others that they otherwise would not have access. Exactly. That's a very important part of our programming. I'm glad you brought that up, the uh, whole learning and public engagement uh, wing of the museum. And there are, we have approximately 125,000 school kids per year come through the museum. That is number is even larger when you consider all of those touring uh, trunk shows, uh, if you will, uh, going outreach because not everybody can make the trip. Uh, you know, if you live up in the Panhandle, it's really it's a long journey right. from Durant. It's three hours up up here uh, to Oklahoma City, and we want all of these kids to have the opportunity to experience these stories, uh, to know about uh, the struggles because. There's, you know, the old cliche that we study history so that we don't repeat it. That's really not true. If we if we studied history so that we don't repeat it, then after the very first war, when people came back with the stories, nobody would have ever done that again. But that's it's that's not it. We study history to find out how our ancestors coped with life. The capacity of people to transcend challenging experiences and overcome and uh, share that human value of that resilience. Uh, is resilience. It is, is really about important. resilience, and it's about resilience in all the communities from uh, the resilience of the, uh, the tribes that were moved here during removal uh, and what happened to them. And that's, it's, a, it's a resilient story. It's about survive, not just survival, but building a new community and a new culture. The same is true of the Sooners, and I know that's a controversial topic about uh, the Sooners, but the Sooners were immigrants from a society in Europe and on the East Coast of the United States where they literally had no opportunity. Right. They These people took whatever they owned, put it in a wagon, and drove out to Oklahoma in the late 19th century. It was no easy journey just to get here. And then to claim land, um, and again, I know it's a controversial topic of whose land was it, but to claim land and then do something with it and survive and build a new 
a, a new society out of that. Uh, the same thing is true of, of all of the, the wildcatters when the oil uh, industry started and people d discovered oil. That was not an easy job. The cowboys coming across the plains. Most people don't know that the vast majority of cowboys were not the uh, Hollywood image of the, the very well-dressed, well-groomed, uh, uh, white Northern European males. They were um, ex-slaves. They were um, indigenous people. They were uh, Mexicans, Hispanic people that were looking for a job. Uh, it was dirty. It was a nasty job. It right. was, and you might not get paid. Right. You didn't get paid until the cattle made it all the way to the railhead. And uh, it depended on how much the trail boss sold the cattle for. Right. So you had no idea what you were going to actually make out of it. They may have promised you something, but you didn't know until the end of the trail. And still those people survived. They built lives. They built families. Same thing is true of the Dust Bowl. A lot of people stayed here. They couldn't, they didn't even have, they didn't have uh, the, the the truck to pack up with all of their belongings and right. drive to California. Right. They had to stay here and they made things happen and they made their life happen and rebuilt family farms, uh, rebuilt the land. Uh, and that those are stories that need to be told about Oklahoma because that's, that's when we, when we want to teach kids about history, that's what's important about history. How did our ancestors make it? How did they get here? And what opportunities did they take? Well, some, in many cases, they were making opportunity quite literally out of nothing. Right. There was nothing. There was no reason right. to go on. And yet they did. People came into the state with like seeds in their pockets. Quite yeah. exactly, they with with seeds. I mean, what did uh, the you know the Cherokee and Chickasaw and Choctaw, the first groups that were moved here, unremoved? What did they have in their pockets? They had had land. They had been farmers, mm -hmm. and they came here and they had they re had nothing in their pockets. Right. Um, I also want to ask, you know, some of my most enjoyable social experiences have been at the Oklahoma History Center. And I know that oftentimes people may not think about um, event activities that are available through our museums and not just even large events, but also public programming experiences. Um, what are you uh, scheduling right now and in the near future for the Oklahoma History Center and the State Museum of History? Well, the History Center, first of all, is available for rental. We have weddings regularly. So if you want a place with a great view, especially at sunset of the state capitol, all lit oh, up. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a great place to do your, your ceremony and your dinner. But we have um, many different uh, public events. We have classes, first of all. Uh, this weekend, there is a class in natural dyes and dyeing oh, your, oh, your, your fibers. Uh, and uh, we have uh, a concert. Uh, you know, there's the Kilgan organ mm -hmm. in there. Well, uh, everybody goes by it and looks at it. it well, it's in the exhibit from back in the you know WKY in the radio station, well, it plays the whole uh, the whole museum is actually all of the organ pipes. They're all around. So right. on the last Monday of September, there will be an, another Kilgan organ concert, and uh, there's a, a schedule of that uh, going forward through uh, the year, and those are available to the public. So I encourage people if you want to hear one of those big old radio orchestra uh, orchestra style uh, organs, you know, it's a four manual. It's the whole the whole building shakes. It's it, it's quite fun, uh, and then we have uh, seminars. We are doing uh, a conference seminar on the fifth of August about uh, boarding schools. 
the Indian boarding schools. And that's going to be a whole day event. Uh, people will be coming from all over the state uh, to discuss that. So we have that kind of educational event. And uh, so there, there's, some, there, there's really something for everyone. If you go to the website, to OK History uh, and uh, look it up, there's a whole list of events coming up. Uh, we keep people posted at least six months in advance right. so that you can register for them. Because some of the classes are limited. There's, we only can take so many people into a class. So uh, don't get left out. Uh, right. Make sure that you, uh, you, you're you aware of what's going on at the museum. And if you need a, a space for an event for your family, for your organization, uh, right. call our events department. Uh, they are uh, ready and able to help you. Uh, we have all kinds of catering options available. So um, it's, it, it's a great space. And certainly uh, there's also the garden space, which once the summer heat is over, uh, <laughs> it is a lovely place right. also the to do. The reprieve, once we get the reprieve. Once we get the reprieve, right now we're in, we're in the midst of it. So we just have to roll with it. But certainly by the fall, it, the, the garden with the fountain is a beautiful place. That's awesome. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and would always love to have you back to share updates. My and pleasure. I know you're going to do awesome things with your incredible team. And I'm just really, I'm happy for you. And I'm happy that we get, I'm happy for Oklahoma that we get to keep you here. Well, thank you. That's, <laughs> thank that, you that, so that's much. very nice. <laughs> and I also want to say thank you so much for all you've done for the First Americans Museum. Oh, that was my that pleasure. near I and am... dear to my heart. And you did that's so an, much. You've that's done so an much. important place, and I was very happy to be a part of it. And um, it, that, too, is a very important part of Oklahoma's history. Absolutely. Thank you for being with us today, Leon. My pleasure. Yakoki, thank you for joining us. Timber People is brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast Platform. <laughs>